Hello, and welcome to Born in Ghostland, a series of conversations with people whose homelands have vanished. What is it like to come from a disappeared place? What happens to the sense of belonging? Are there deja vus? What remains? I am Yelena, and I am recording this in Belarus, in my grandparents' apartment. I was born in a hospital across the street and in a different country. I haven't spent time in this apartment, on this street, in almost 30 years, but it was always somewhere close, no matter where I was geographically. Today is the first of our conversations, and I'm very excited to have Anna Zoria with me, an artist who works across disciplines, from video to painting, and who has a very special and rare skill of capturing the passing of time. And I would also say the experience of forming and then recalling memories. Her baby, Marianne, also joins the conversation. I hope you enjoy it. So welcome to Born in Ghostland. You're my first guest from the first Ghostland. I'm honored. I am also honored. I wanted to start with, as I wrote to you, so this, I wanted to do this series of, series of conversations about what it's like to be from a place that no longer exists. And I guess the definition of it is pretty, can be pretty poetic. It, I feel like it can be interpreted. The country could maybe still exist, it maybe changed the name, or perhaps you were born in the shadow of a country. So you were born in Russia? Where were you born? Um, I was born in Khabarovsk. It's in the east. Oh. In 1990. So, and I was born in January. So just right on the cusp of the Soviet Union breaking down. Yeah. I remember that winter. That was already, um, I was 11 already. So I remember, I remember it breaking. And you were just getting born. And yeah, I was getting born. <laughs> the country was ending. Yeah. You're now living at the moment you're, where, where are you right now? So right now I'm living in Vancouver, where I grew up. Before that, I was living in France for a long time. Hmm. What was the journey and when did you move from Khabarovsk? So you moved from Khabarovsk to Vancouver, to Canada. Yeah, so I was nine years old and we just decided to move very suddenly. My parents actually never planned to to move to Canada. And sorry, if you hear noises in the background, I have a baby. That's what those little noises are. But yeah, my parents didn't plan on moving to Canada, but their friends had opened a travel bureau um, in Khabarovsk, and they needed some people to act as guinea pigs for immigration to Canada and the States. <laughs> oh, interesting. It was a service? They were sort of doing like the immigration service? Yeah. They just used them as their first clients and they never had any intention of actually going anywhere. They just lent their information and then they got in. <laughs> and just like that, how long, do you remember how long that took from the moment that you knew that you were leaving until leaving? Like so how, how quickly did it happen? I was curious, like living in that interstitial period you know when you know you're leaving for me it was the night before oh one day before um i think they they knew for a little bit but they didn't want to tell anybody because at the time in russia there was a lot of a lot of people were getting killed 
Yeah, yeah, that was the wild 90s. Yeah, it was 99, I guess. So Yeah, and I guess they knew some people who had tried to immigrate and were killed on the way to the airport because somebody tipped it off. And some people knew that when people were leaving the country, they're bringing all of their money with right. them. So they kept it really secret from, from me and from the rest of the family. I'm also curious about your that experience that you had of childhood because it's a bit different from mine obviously because I caught quite a, a chunk of Soviet Union and I remember that change from kind of the Soviet ethos to you know the post-Soviet to this kind of wild capitalism what was it like to do how, how do you remember that time like in this in these terms also that you mentioned the kind of violence that was a that existed I guess I'm wondering also how the Soviet Union like what was it like? Like what the specter of that was like at that time, if you remember? Yeah, I I do remember a lot of it because I was nine and I was living yeah. with my grandparents and my grandparents grew up in the Soviet Union and they really glorified it a lot. And I had this, I think I lived in the afterglow of, of the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. There were still these like stories floating around about how good it used to be, mm. and um, I was really fascinated by the pioneers, the concept of pioneers. I really wanted to be one. I was in the last cohort of pioneers. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> I know. How was that? It was, you know, because it was the last cohort, it was already, things were breaking down, and it already seemed more of a, probably more of a performance than an actual thing but at the same time because I did catch you know a few years of of that heroic so just for context in Soviet Union there was there were all these kind of books and stories describing the inspiring lives they were like little saints of of young pioneers right like young communists young pioneers and young Octobrians that was even a younger cohort of communists that were like six years and up so those would have the star of Lenin on their lapel and then the pioneers would have a red scarf so I still Mm -hmm. caught the little bit of that theology so I I was sort of both remember excited and embarrassed at the same time because I was like realizing that it was you know it felt uncool kind of it felt like you were already supposed to be laughing at the Soviet stuff but at the same time there was like a reverence at the same time because deep inside like I'd read so many I was such a like a bookish kid and I read so many stories about like, yeah. the more the moral children and like moral anti-capitalist struggle that I was really yeah I, I, it was like very those feelings existed in parallel for me what were the teachers like in pioneer school I actually don't remember my teachers very well because I was already I was always kind of in a cloud land I think I wasn't paying a lot of attention to any classes except maybe Russian so but my Russian teacher who I do remember like all of them they were very idealistic but I think she wasn't so much pro-Soviet I think she was more kind of pro-classical Russia you know Pushkin, Mm -hmm. Tolstoy, Lermontov like the classics so I think that my teachers were none of them were particularly zealous and my family like my Jewish family was very skeptical and kind of cynical and my mom was a exemplary pioneer and remains so but yeah I I take it your grandparents were were exemplary as well they were yeah but they were very disillusioned by the time the yeah yeah it's only my grandpa really who is to this day like 
stout communist. And... Really? That is rare. Yeah. Actually, mm, I yeah. don't know if it is. I take that back. Actually, it isn't rare. I've definitely met people, even younger people here. I'm in Belarus right now, and I've met people that I have a kind of an idealistic perception of the Soviet Union and are slightly communist, I guess. Yeah, I think there's there's this weird way for, for me of looking at um, socialism and communism. There's a weird kind of idealism, I think, that is springing up and... I saw it a lot in art school in Paris where everybody really idealized the socialist regime and meanwhile they were kind of rich art kids <laughs> um, living in Paris but stealing things because fuck the man kind of yeah. vibe and having like heard both sides of what that regime was like from my parents like the, the, the horrible stories and and also the good things from my grandparents I have such a conflicted relationship to that idea I don't know what what you feel about that I think it's a, something interesting to grow up with for us because it I think it gives us a sense that things are not one-sided you know that there's these two sides to the story because it sounds like we both in our families have this kind of both both narratives are present. I think it just made me have more perspective. I'm I'm probably less likely, you know, to get extremely righteous or capitalist, I think, because I sort of see that both can go or righteously leftist or righteously capitalist, because either are kind of problematic. So I think I'm maybe I'm just I've become cynical as well. As the result, I don't know. Yeah, but I think uh, I think I am reminded recently, the past couple of years, you know, the kind of discourse, the public discourse in the states in particular, has been so unequivocal, you know, and so yeah. categorical. This kind of slogany. So that's really reminded me of the Soviet Union, actually, and of, yeah. <laughs> of that kind of yeah, just very strict. <laughs> dictum of what is right and wrong and like you know if you if your parents were bourgeois like if they were aristocrats off with your head you know yes yeah i a, a lot of stuff that happens now i somehow draw parallels to soviet union mm -hmm. for some reason i do do you yeah hmm. you do no uh, yeah i think so I, I think so it's very different in canada <laughs> promised land <laughs> but of course we are so affected by american politics and i see it all the time all the imagery yeah but i guess actually even looking at the <laughs> at the uh storming of the capitol hill images it does yeah. kind of look like west anderson socialism <laughs> or something west anderson communist revolution <laughs> mm. Yeah, lots of costumes. Yeah, the last few years have been so... I don't know if I had like a staged feeling. I think also because of Donald Trump being essentially rooted. Oh, he came from a television. <laughs> so I think everything just that ensued just has a feeling of a, a show. One question I wrote down with what situations maybe bring out the knowledge of the kind of double place, but it, we kind of discussed it now, but unless you have a different example i think that it for, for a long time it lived with me as this ghost past and i think it still it still does but the first 10 years i think here in canada were the strongest just mm. feeling like i deeply knew what another place looked like and felt like 
and um, the kids here didn't. And, yeah, that's, <laughs> and the, that's the place. It's coughing. Just kidding. Yeah, coughing. <laughs> like it just felt like I knew there was an alternate reality and parallel reality happening at once mm. somewhere else. Do you know the feeling? I do. Yeah. What do you do with that feeling? I think I don't know if I do anything with it personally. I think it just gives me this maybe a sense of slight detachment or or actually what makes me think is that maybe I should be somewhere else always that's the feeling yes I have yes. <laughs> that there is a an alternate you like and wonder what I would be like if we had stayed yes yes the alternate you I think it's yes exactly yeah what you are doing right now is so interesting that you're living in your grandparents um, apartment right yeah yeah I am I'm living at my grandparents' old apartment, which is my childhood apartment in a way. I would spend summers here. So I am in a yeah. way, but it's like I skipped from childhood to middle age. <laughs> and then, <laughs> so I'm still kind of a child. I think because I missed all the other part here for the purposes of my life right now. It's very imaginary. It's very kind of solitary. I really just hang out with very few people. It's mm -hmm. pandemic times also. So, you know, in, in living in that kind of parallel space, was there anything that you wish that, I guess, people that surrounded you at the moment, you know, so in Canada, you know, you moved to Canada, were there sort of things that you wish that people would understand or you felt like they didn't understand, like references or something, like some context, like there's, like, was there anything? Oh, yes, so much. For me, the strongest thing was music and, ah. and poetry. Oh, yes. I grew up being obsessed with Zinfira. <laughs> Zinfira, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a singer, Russian singer, yeah. I guess, 90s, like, would you say, like, late 90s? Yeah, yeah. very 90s, very angsty and yeah. um, kind of lesbian vibe, mm -hmm. I guess, but we yeah. didn't wrote it back then, <laughs> and I would put her on my Discman, I had her first album, mm. and put her Discman and stand on the playground and just listen to that the entire recess and the entire lunch for like a whole year I think the first year that I was oh. here and I really wanted somebody to share that with me and um, actually later on my first best friend we bonded over that because she also uh, grew up here ah also Russian. She was not from Canada. She was also from the East. She's also from the East. And we bonded over this love. Of, like we had exactly the same experience of listening to her throughout our childhood and then um, into mm -hmm. teens. Yeah, and a, a lot of other things like that, like poetry. I would read a lot of Akhmatova and mm -hmm. Yesenia and Tsvetaeva, and and I I really wanted to like put it in my <laughs> msn handle or something like those were my reference yeah no i know what you mean yeah i think i had an interesting experience and it was in 2000s and i was living in houston and i was at the library there and the central library and i and there was actually a russian section and i was digging around in the russian section and there i found a really old uh, nabokov book that was printed in the you know not the soviet cyrillic but in the pre-revolutionary it's like a slightly different way of writing it's a different orthography with different letters and so I found this print of Nabokov from like I think the 40s or something and I was so excited I remember and going to share it with someone and 
there wasn't anyone to appreciate like this <laughs> the interest you know it's just like this layers of this other history that just seemed so random and kind of alien to my environment in texas oh my god wow. yeah so far it's so interesting that poetry is so there are so many kind of dissident poets also in the former Soviet unions that would move and like i'm thinking of brodsky because that's the only one joseph brodsky that's the only one kind of comes to mind but i know there were more it's interesting that yeah we missed that so much and that is such a definitive kind of part of that yeah so we were i mean i was kind of discovering it in a very rogue uh, way not from teachers or from my parents really but just from like being bored at home and digging around the books that my parents immigrated with so they brought a lot of books right we brought so many also yeah. we have lots of them <laughs> Yeah, it's so interesting to books. arrive in the Kindle era with all these books. I'm here right now also in Belarus. I'm, I'm surrounded by these printed books. Yeah, I'm so jealous that you are doing that, that you get to live in that, that apartment because I, for many years and even still now, I would go to bed recounting every object that was in my grandparents' apartment and exactly where it was placed. And oh trying to remember like reconstruct that space the what was some of the objects um well you know your classic stuff like the rug on the wall the mm -hmm. rug on the floor rugs everywhere yeah the this gra grandfather clock or something like that that ticked really loud mm -hmm. <laughs> and these i don't know if you remember or had this we had these stickers of um like kind of naked ladies <laughs> Yeah. Ever furniture and on the walls. Yes. <laughs> what was up with that? I don't know. I think there was just, it was also, I think I know what you mean. Sometimes there were calendars or something, but just these scantily clad women. And they arrived in the 80s somehow on this plastic, plastic okay, shape. I think I know what it was. They were kind of Western, Westernness. Yeah, it was the gum wrappers. They, oh, the gum wrappers. Little... I was thinking of calendars, but yeah, also those, yeah. No, I don't see them anymore, but yeah. They were the westernest. That was the crumble. The crumble of the Soviet Union through the yeah. cracks appeared the nudes. <laughs> I think like a Madeline cries in just the right moment. <laughs> the right moment. Yeah. She knows. She knows when to grunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I think I remember a kind of how do I say this? Not like wallpaper in the kitchen, but like. Mm -hmm. um, Ludon tropical scene that was kind of popular in the 90s for yeah for dentists offices and and like grandma kitchens to glue on these kind of like very large posters of like a, a place with um an ocean wave and a, and a yeah. palm tree you know and um of course outside it was like minus 30 <laughs> yeah do you ever have you ever gone back um, yeah, we went back a couple of times, but the last time I went back, I was 14. Mm -hmm. And this um, this apartment that is in my memory is just like receded into oblivion. Mm -hmm. and we don't have it anymore. I'm thinking of my rugs also. I have this feeling when I came back that some of, you know, some of the furniture is still the same that was here when I was growing up. And I just feel really at home with it. And usually... Wherever I am in, you know, whatever apartment I'm renting, I'm always kind of scrambling to like, design it, you know? Yeah. And here, I mean, I've done some of it, but for the most part, I've, you know, I'm kind of accepting 
the objects, you know, I'm not trying to replace them, you know, I might look, I did recover the couch or got a few lamps, them here for a few months, but I do just feel quite at ease with them. It's just a different relationship to things, I think maybe more, well, they're just older than me also, so there's that, and maybe I have like an antique reverence, or I don't know. Yeah, you don't want to disturb yeah, I think so, yeah. And there's and I think they also carry carry over the kind of Soviet ethos of frugality somewhat. I mean, I know during this during the Soviet times there were also people that were well to do and were able to like buy buy lots of things, but I think in general, from what I remember, there was kind of a frugality. And so I feel like the furniture inspires me to yeah, behave in that way more rather than lean into my kind of Instagram driven purchasing behavior that I'm guilty of Mm -hmm. yeah I understand like you have I think a really intuitive approach to space this is just what I know from looking at your Instagram too but I think that there's this really interesting thing going on um, where the old aesthetic is preserved in that apartment but there are touches of something very new and modern that you're bringing to it mm-hmm. and um, that combination I think is actually really in tune with what is on on trend right now people are very fascinated with mid-century modern and um, 70s also and 80s there's a kind of yeah I agree that there's a although I am also I feel like the 80s are having a moment in a big way like yeah. big fluffy 80s furniture yeah and soviet fetish true soviet fetish i think just keeps on going really i guess what was it like a few years ago that balenciaga well there was that moment for the the goshrupchinsky and there was kind of a moment where it was post-soviet but it was interpreting the soviet it was still kind of a soviet fetish i feel like that was a couple of years ago but yeah so i feel like every couple of years it, it kind of appears in a slightly different form yeah agree the ghost is here with us yeah the ghost <laughs> the giant soviet oh призрак коммунизма oh okay because because this is a french isn't it the marseillaise isn't it isn't there so there's a song a, one of the communist songs and i remember i think it's a french song there's a part about the ghost of communism that's arriving do you know <laughs> what i'm talking about yeah i'm just gonna google it really quick <laughs> i think i kind of vaguely know yeah because every time that i heard the marseillaise in france yeah. it did sound i had already heard it before in a different context i couldn't place it you did <laughs> yes yeah, that's what I did, I guess. Oh, yeah. It's Comunista. Oh, it's a manifesto of the Communist Party. It is not a song, but it was... Oh, uh, Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels wrote wrote it in February. So this is an anniversary report here that we're recording because it's uh, 18th of February. So this is pretty much commemorative, I would say. <laughs> But yeah, that's they they wrote that, and the manifesto begins with a ghost is wandering about Europe, and it's a ghost of communism. <laughs> the ghost is present. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. The ghost is present. I have a longing yeah, for that thing that died. I don't know. Was it ever alive? But <laughs> I don't I, know. I picture, I picture myself in an alternate reality, like walking through the streets of my Russian city and I can get like a lemonade for free <laughs> and then have a the simple best dream. ice cream. In, yeah, have the best ice cream in the world. If the sun's shining? In the sunshine, of course, and I'm very healthy. I'm not deathly pale like I was when we immigrated. <laughs> post-cancerous glow <laughs> no i'm like very healthy there's mm -hmm. sunshine me and, me and my comrade eight-year-olds are gonna go and um like build something together yeah no and, and rescue a cat and help an old lady i'm gonna cry it's so cute <laughs> it's very <Yeah>. cute <laughs> i think you mentioned you said to me once that you wish that yeah that there was and it's it's just I think it's moving to me like how well I understand it because I can just as you say it I picture it you know it's kind of a composite image from different films and you know things I read and photos I've seen you know my grandparents my parents something on the internet you know it just it comes into this dream but I yeah. really read it and you said to me once that you wish that there was a perfect audience that could understand that and also the whatever the western thing is yeah can we speak about uh, the western thing because what is the western thing yeah because so we're also westernized is... now exactly very very westernized my russian accent only comes out when i'm very tired or drunk <laughs> but here's the thing i went on a trip to israel a couple of years ago with my grandpa who lives in canada mm-hmm and he heard on the radio one day that um, Russian seniors in Vancouver were being organized to go on a trip to Israel. Mm -hmm. He signed up and he uh, invited me to come along. And also my mom and my sister joined. <laughs> so it was us and like 16 other people over 60. And... Most of these people, they had lived in Canada for over 20 years, but they were extremely Russian or um, mm -hmm. from other... Yeah, from the former Soviet. Soviet yeah. post-Soviet. And there was... I wanted to film them every minute of the trip because there was this really interesting way that they spoke, which was a mix of Russian and English. Mm -hmm. and, and the humor that, that was so... Particular... I, you know, I just, I, I was writing down things that they were saying all of the time. And I wish that I could make that film because I really can't. The audience would be so slim of people who would understand why it's funny. Actually, it wouldn't be even that small. I mean, it would probably be at least a thousand people, I think. And that's already, you know, imagine that many people in one room, you know, I, th I think you should make it. I think the world needs it. Oh my god, I'm looking through my phone because I want to find the quotes of what people said. And yeah, I if you could across, find a few, that would be good. I came across a random note I made in 2018 that just says, Russian food part two. I made this list of Russian food, but it's in Russian. Do you want to hear it? Okay, so maybe you say it in Russian and then I'll try to translate it if it's unclear. Okay. <laughs> This is, I guess, a fried sausage with rice. Yeah, sardelka. It's a fatter sausage. <laughs> rice with like 
I guess minced meat and like fried onion. I'm adding cooking details, but I think that's what you mean. <laughs> Soup с фрикадельками. Meatball. Bouillon. <laughs> Soup с курицей, сухариками. <laughs> Dry bread. I know soup with chicken and dry bits of dry bread. But anyway, this list has like 30 items, so I won't go on. Good list to make. Yeah. So that's the ghost, the ghost list, the ghost food. <laughs> the food for the ghost of the other place. Thank you, Anna, for coming on and being the introductory ghost for Born in Ghostland. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate this conversation. It was lovely. It was and, really nice. Um, enjoyed going down memory lane with you. Well, I hope you have a wonderful lunch and eat some, some of the food that you made notes about soon. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I wonder if maybe Marianne will remember this. You know, she'll have like an interesting memory of Soviet Union from just this conversation as the result, you know. And she'll grow up to be too, and and want to be a young pioneer. Also, we're just kind of perpetuating the ghost land here. You're gonna make me cry, <laughs> young pioneer. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, over and out.